Hey everybody, I'm Pastor Jeff Dawes, lead pastor here at Stockbridge Community Church. And I just want to say thank you for listening to our podcast today. I hope this message inspires you and encourages you. Enjoy today's message. series that we've entitled Fear Less. Fear Less. Our culture is, is, is consumed with anxiety and fear. And so today I want to talk to you about that. And I don't want to just talk to you about it because it's a spiritual issue that Jesus has been talking about uh, for ages. And he wrote it in, his, in the Bible. And one particular passage that I want to talk to, to you about is in Luke 18. And Jesus talks about uh, about this judge, and, uh, and it's, it really hones in with Mother's Day, and I'll tell you why in just a moment. But if we were looking at this judge, like in this day and time that we live, we would say, okay, this guy would live in the, the gated community with a mansion. This judge would have a pool with a dollar sign. He's the kind of judge that uh, would be connected to, to the, the mafia and the drug dealer. Matter of fact, Jesus was saying this about this judge. Is that, you know, he, he um, the mafia kept him in office and he kept them out of jail. It was sort of that kind of relationship. He was a crook. His mother knew he was a crook. His children knew he was a crook. And God knew he was a crook. He didn't care about God or man, the Bible says. He just was a bad man. And, 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 and when we understand that is that, you know, and he would never give a good person a second chance. He was just a bad judge. And so Jesus picks up the story. Look what he says in, in Luke uh, 18 and 3. It says this. In that same town, there was a widow who, let's read those next two words with me. Ready? Come on. Kept coming. All right. Would you circle that? Because I'm going to tell you, this is an indicator that that widow, she may have been husbandless, but she was not childless because she kept coming. She kept coming to the judge saying, give me my rights against my enemy. That sounds like a mother that just keeps coming and saying, I want to, I'm not giving up tenacity. And I'll tell you one thing I've learned about uh, you mothers is this, is that when it comes to your children, you will, you will fight a giant. I thought I'd have a lot of moms going, that's right, don't mess with my baby, right? Rhonda, my wife, Rhonda, if you know her, she is the, she's the nicest person you ever met. I mean, she's not like me. She's kind and nice. She is. She's sweet and nice. And I want to tell you something. I've never seen anything really make her angry except when you mess with her kids. Oh, you mess with those kids, and I'm telling you what is. I don't know what happens, but boy, don't do it, you know. I'm like, she will go after you. I'm like, Rhonda, you know, she's usually telling me, Jeff, now you just need to calm down. But there's one particular time that something happened, and I can't recall it, but I know she got, I said, whoa, Rhonda, you need to settle down. But whoa, easy there. Who are you? And so this mother that we see in the Bible, again, Jesus is telling this story. She keeps coming to this judge, and here she is. She's not connected to anyone. She has no, she has no political status. She's a nobody in the society as far as he's concerned, but it doesn't stop her because she's tenacious. She has tenacity. She's a mother. So every time this judge would, would uh, get out of his limo to go into the courtroom, guess who was standing there saying, I need your help. 
was that mother. And then when he would leave, when he would go into his chamber and, and uh, come out and e- enter the hallway, there she would be again saying, Judge, I need your help. When he would have court in session, she would be the one that was sitting right here on the front row and she would hold up her cardboard sign and say, please help me, Judge. And not only that, but when the judge would leave and go to lunch and he would go to the swankiest places, be like a Ruth Chris Steakhouse that he would go to and he would be there with his detail thinking that all everything's secure, enjoying a nice meal with someone, all of a sudden, out of nowhere, she'd pop up and say, Judge, I need you to give me your attention. And again, he would ignore her. And, and when, when he would uh, leave there and, and again... Uh, uh, going on his golf game on Saturday with all of his buddies and having a big time, you know, smoking his Cuban cigars on number five hole at the green out of the woods would pop this mother saying, give me justice. I need your attention. She became such a pest to him that, that uh, she didn't just pester him, but she pestered his wife. She pestered his secretary until the point that they said, you've got to do something about her. And finally, one day, he was exiting a courtroom. He looked around, didn't see her, thought it was going to be a great day. Run and jumped into his limo, got in the limo, and lo and behold, sitting in the seat beside him was a mother. And, and so Jesus tells us about this, this tenacity, this, this person that's after it. And he picks up the story, and look what Jesus says. For a while, the judge refused to help her, but afterwards, he thought to himself, even though I don't respect God or care about people, I will see that she gets her rights. Otherwise, she will continue to bother me until what? Doesn't that sound like a mom? You ain't messing with my babies, right? I, I mean, when I read this story, I thought, that is a Mother's Day story right there. You're not messing with my babies. I will get you. Whatever it takes, I will get your attention. And so when we read this story, I want you to understand that uh, it's, very easy, it's very easy to say, okay, well, God wants us to compare him to the judge. I want to tell you, it, this story is not about, about a comparison at all. It's about a contrast. Jesus was saying the father is nothing like the judge and that you're not like the widow because you don't have to keep begging. Is what he was trying to say. You don't have to keep doing that. And so look at the next verse with me. Uh, Luke 18, and 6 through 8. The Lord said, listen to what the unfair judge said. God will always give what is right to his people who cry to him when night and day. I just want you to know when you can't sleep at night, God's up. He's up. Night and day. And he will, be, he will not be slow to answer them. I tell you, God will help his people win quickly. That's right. When you pray, something's moving. He goes on to say, but when the Son of Man comes again, will he find, will he find those on earth who believe in him? So Jesus was saying this. He was saying, you know, it's important to have faith, and uh, our faith is very important, and there, here's why. Because when your faith, when, well, if you don't have faith, you'll be fear-filled. So either you're going to have faith or you'll have fear. You cannot have both. And so the measure, the one that you have the most of will rule your life. And Jesus said, if there's no faith on the earth, then the earth will be filled with fear. And so what God is trying to say is that, listen, he wants you to talk to him. You know that any time that uh, you begin to speak in God's direction, that's called prayer. When, when you're speaking toward God, you know, when you're saying things toward God, it is called prayer. And God wants you to pray. He wants me to pray. He wants all of us to pray. And here's, what, here's the good news. You know what? You can pray externally like you can, like you can say it out loud like this, or you can pray internally. 
And I thank God that he can hear me when nobody else can, aren't you? Because there's been many times that I've had to pray that I, if somebody would have heard me pray and I would have got killed. Right? You prayed those kind of prayers. I know Rhonda's prayed them before. She's like, dear God, while I'm talking, she's like, let this man shut up. But God hears our internal voice and he hears our external voice. And so prayer is prayer. And I just want you to understand that, that no matter. And you can even be talking to someone and pray to God while you're talking externally. God hears our prayers. He hears those prayers. So we've been in this, um, in this passage that we've been talking about, Philippians 4. And it says this about prayer. Look what it says. It says, be anxious for what? Nothing. That means that we need to chill out with anxiety. He says, but in everything by prayer and supplication. Now, supplication is just another word that means to be humble. Supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to who? To God. That's right. That's what prayer does. And then the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your what? And minds through Christ Jesus. So I want to teach you an SCC saying here. It's something that we say that we want to remember. I want to teach it to you today in order that you might be able to live in peace. Okay, you ready for this? So it's coming up, so I want you to say this with me. Ready? It's on the screen now. You ready? A prayer-filled mind is a peace-filled life. Let's say it again. You ready? Come on. A prayer-filled mind is a peace-filled life. And that's it. That's what Jesus was trying to convey. And that's what I want to convey today on this Mother's Day, is that either your mind's going to be eat up with all the things that can go wrong, or your mind's going to be filled with, with prayer. And when your mind's filled with prayer, your life will be filled with peace. It's an option. It's a choice. And that's what we want to talk about. So, so I want to talk to you today about how to respond to anxiety, because all of us have it, and all of it, it comes our way to all of us. And so I'd like to give you three things today that I believe are going to help you on this Mother's Day. You ready? Number one, let's go ahead and write this down. Number one is come humbly in prayer to God. Humbly in prayer to God. <clears throat> As I begin to um, look at this passage this week, when Jesus tells that story about the unjust judge, he goes on and he begins to tell another story about prayer. He said there were two men that came in to pray, come into like a church to pray. One of those guys was a religious person, and another one was what was called a tax collector, or, you know, which is the worst person in their, their culture that there could be. You know, nobody liked them. They stole from people and all this stuff. And both of them come in to pray and said, all of a sudden, the religious person said right there, their prayer started off like this. It said, God, I just want to say thank you. Lord, I just want you to know that I am not an evildoer. I'm not an adulterer. I'm not a robber. And then he said this, then Jesus said he pointed right to the person that was standing right beside him, almost like putting his, his finger in his chest and saying, and thank you, I'm not like that scumbag. Now that is, that's some pretty bold praying right there, isn't it? Yeah, thank you, I'm not like him. And so Jesus said, in turn, the, the, the tax collector prayed this prayer. Dear God, I'm a sinner. Please have mercy on me. And then Jesus asked the question, which one of those prayers do you think that God heard? And, of course, he heard the last prayer, right? Because the other prayer that said, you know, I, I'm not this and I'm not that. In other words, it began to say, God, you owe me. Because I'm not all this stuff, you owe me. Now, before you get a little self-righteous and before you start saying, well, how in the world could somebody do that? Well, let me tell you something. I've done it before and you probably have too. 
You know, as there's been t- there was a time several years ago that Rhonda and I, our family was going through a, a crisis. And Rhonda couldn't do anything about it. I couldn't do anything about it. It was a crisis. And I was, we were hurting so bad. And I was, you know, and I, I went to God in prayer, and I prayed something like that guy. I didn't realize it at the time, but it was sort of like him because I said, God, you know, I'm giving my life for you. Why in the world am I having to go through this, God? You need to do something. And isn't it amazing when you're going through something and bad things are coming your way, how the devil will spotlight evil people having it good. You, you know what I'm talking about? I mean, the person that, that's a jerk that everybody hates, all of a sudden it looks like they got their swag on. I'm like, would you, your tires blow out right now. You know? I mean, come on. Do you, oh, yo, no, you never have those thoughts. I'm sorry, it's just me. And so, and so, you know, I have found myself praying that kind of prayer and saying, God, you know, I, I need you, uh, Lord, to, to relieve this. And by the way, God, you know, I've done all this good stuff for you. And so, you know, uh, why don't you just go ahead and give this to them? See, and let me tell you something. You know what that's called? It's called pride. Pride is saying, God, you owe me. I've done all this for you, so you owe me. You owe me. Let me tell you something. He doesn't owe us anything. Matter of fact, he paid a debt that, we, that he did not owe with Jesus Christ, right? And so I just want to tell you, he didn't owe us anything, but we pray that way, don't we? And so the Bible, we, he says, come humbly to God. And so this is what I'd like for you to know is this, is stop trying to justify yourself and humble yourself when you go to God. Quit trying to, listen, quit trying to make yourself sound good before God. You know, like, like we think we got to sort of pump him up till we hear us, right? Got to just begin to say, you know, well, Lord, now, you know, I did this and I did this, so you ought to answer my prayer. No, no, no. Forget all of that. Just come humbly like the tax collector is said, God, I'm a sinner. Have mercy on me. I need your help. Amen? And so we go and look what the Bible says here. Jesus actually said this. He says, and all, all those who exalt themselves will be what? Be humble. That's right. And those who humble themselves will be what? In other words... When you are so full of you, God can't do anything with you. Oh, nobody wants to move here. How, what do you mean when I'm full of me? Well, I'll tell you, when you've got all the answers, when you don't listen to what God's got to say, and you just want it done your way, you don't care what anybody else has got to say, you want to do it your way, you are so full of you that God can't do anything with you. See, you are full of it. I said it. It. I don't know what's going through your mind right now, but <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? You're full of it, of yourself. That's what you're full of. You're full of it. You're full of yourself. And the Bible says, God says that when you exalt yourself, when you say, God, I know, and you don't listen to anybody else, you know, then he says, you know what? What God does is that those people that are full of themselves, God said, he humbles and those people that humble themselves, he exalts. So here's this question. Do you want God to humble you or exalt you? That's the question you've got to answer. And I don't know about you, but I, I don't want God to have to humble me. I want to say, okay, God, you're right, and Lord, you're always right, and so help me because I'm messed up, jacked up, and, and about to blow up. Right? And so I need your help. And that's the way that we should pray. And let me just say this. One of the most humbling prayers that you can pray is the prayer to become a Christ follower. You know why? Because when you ask Jesus to be the Lord of your life, what you're saying is that your way is better than my way. And that's the only way to get to heaven is finally say, okay, I'm humbling myself to say that your way is better than my way. And so we have a prayer inside of our program 
It's here every week, and the reason is because there's people like you that are sitting here that need to do things God's way in order their life can get better, that God can exalt them. And so here's a prayer. I want to read it today. And if this is you, you just say, God, you make it personal. Right where you are, God hears you. You don't have to stand up, come forward, any of that. You just say, God, this is me. And look what it says. Dear Lord Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. That's humble. And I ask for your forgiveness. I believe you died for my sins and rose from the dead. I trust and follow you as my Lord and Savior. Please help me, that's humbling, turn from my sins and do your will. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, here's the deal. If you're sitting here today and that's you, you know who you are, then why don't you, if you meant that prayer today, you say, that's me and God, I really mean this. Then on the back of this card, it's got a box that says, I'm praying the prayer to become a Christ follower. Why don't you check that box so we can pray for you and with you that God can help you. All right, remember our SEC saying? Remember what it was? We're going to put it on the screen. Let's say it again together. Ready? Come on, you ready? A prayer-filled mind is a a peace-filled life. A prayer-filled mind. And so we should pray. So the second thing I would say to you is this, if we're going to, how to respond to anxiety is this, is give yourself and your family hope through prayer. Hope through prayer. I read a statistic um, when we opened up this series, and it has not left my mind. I want to read it again because it was on Easter Sunday that I read this. I want to read it again because it was so shocking. Look what it says. It says, the average child today has the same level of anxiety as the average psychiatric patient in the 1950s. In other words, they're saying if our children were alive in the 1950s with the level of anxiety that they have, they'd all be in a psych psych ward. They would, they would have been committed. And so the question is this. The question is, why? Why, why, has it, why? why was the culture then less anxious than it is now? And the only thing that I can tell you is this, is that back then, you know, we had prayer in our homes. We had prayer at school. We had, we had uh, prayer at government meetings. We had prayer at ball games. We had prayer everywhere. In that culture, there was prayer everywhere. And, and so... Here's the deal. What I want to tell you is that, you know, a prayer-filled life, again, is a, a, a prayerful person is a hopeful person. A prayerless person is a hopeless person. Did you hear that? Prayerful makes you hopeful, and then prayerless makes you hopeless. And so prayer has to get into our society. And now before you're saying, you know, some of you are saying, you know, I know it, Pastor. We need the Ten Commandments back in the, back in the schoolhouse and in the courthouse. We need that. And we need prayer back in, the, back in schools. We need that. Well, before we get too excited about that, you know, before we start demanding that the Ten Commandments be back in the, uh, the hallways of the White House, the question is the Ten Commandments in your house. Oh, Ooh, that's a stinger, wasn't it? That's the question. You know, we're, we're saying, hey, we need them in the White House. But let me say this. If I go in your house, is, are they hanging up in your house? You know, and then, and then prayer, we need prayer in schools. Like, oh, we need prayer in schools. We see these shootings and stuff going all the time, you know. And I would say, yeah, we do need prayer in school. But let me tell you something. If the prayer's got to start in our house before we can expect it in, in the schoolhouse. Amen? And, and so we used to say this. We would say something like this, you know, the family that prays together. See, the problem is this, is we have begun to decide that talking about prayer is the same as praying. 
We think just because, oh, because we're going to march. We need prayer in our schools. We're going to demand. We need prayer in the White House. We need prayer. And we think just because we talk about prayer, that's the same as praying. It's not the same as praying. And so if you want hope in your home and you want to lower the anxiety of your children and you want to teach them a method of lowering their anxiety, then we have to bring the hope in. And here's what it stands for. You ready? I'm going to give it to you. Hope. Here's how you spell it. Hope means this. Home of prayer every day. Home of prayer every day. That's what hope means. Home of prayer every day. And what I want to say is this, is that it's our responsibility to have home of prayer every day. Look what the Bible says. Jesus says this in Luke again, 1827. Jesus says, what is impossible for people is what? Do you believe that? What is impossible for people is possible with God. And so what I want to tell you is this, is that, you know, in order, for our, in order for our children and our grandchildren to have hope is that they got to know that their situation is not bigger than God. And the way they're going to learn that is when we teach them, when we lean into that, we lean into prayer. So what I want to challenge you to do is have prayer with your family. Have prayer with your family. Now, what I, what I want you to understand, like when our kids were smaller, Rhonda and I, you know, we, we would take them right up to their bedroom and we would have prayer with them in their bedroom. You know, we would just join hands with them and pray with them. Read them a little Bible story. Well, when they get up to about uh, 11, 12 years old, all of a sudden, you become a creeper. Okay, that's what I was called, a creeper. Get out of my room, you creeper. You know, in my day, you were a creep, but now it's a creeper. Okay, and, and so, so what we had to do is that, you know, before our kids went to bed or whatever, they got about that age, we would grab hands and make a circle, and we would pray, whether they wanted to or not. And so when they got a little bit older, guess what? That didn't work anymore because it was all going our ways. But so we decided that when we would have a meal together would be our time that we would pray together. And that doesn't mean that we would go into, you know, a 30-minute prayer, but it meant that it was something heartfelt. And let me just say this. At, at, at mealtime is a great time to pray because you have to eat. And, and most of the time we're together at that time. And so, listen, don't, don't, do, don't teach your kids God is great, God is good. I mean, that's okay to teach them that, but I'm just saying, don't make it your prayer. Listen, don't, make it, don't, don't sit down to the table and say, good bread, good meat, good Lord, let's eat. You know, don't, don't do that. And the reason I tell you that is because, listen, your kids know what comes from the heart. And you say, well, pastor, I just don't know what to pray. That's great. You're the best prayer that don't know what to pray. You know why? Because you just say it straight up what's in your mind. And that is, you know, the kind of prayer that's good at mealtime is, God, Lord, thank you that we got this food. Thank you that we got food to eat. Amen. Because when a prayer is from the heart, it's caught by your children. It's caught by those around. When it's from the heart, it doesn't matter how it sounds. And some of you think, well, I can't pray like you, Pastor. Well, good. God hears yours more than he does mine. Because sometimes mine is just what I should do, and yours is what you want to do. You know what I'm saying? When you when you got to pray publicly and stuff like this, sometimes my mind is not even engaged in what I'm saying when I'm praying publicly. But when I got when I got those private moments, my heart's engaged, and those moments are times that you should let your heart in, be engaged as well. Remember what we said is this: is that uh, on this card here, I've got a box. I want you to I want to take you, you to take this challenge in order to change our kids' futures. This it says. I will do my best to pray with my family daily at mealtime. Daily at mealtime. Now, here's the great thing. 
is that as long as you have, you know, you say, well, my kids are grown. It's just me and my wife. Well, let me tell you something. Hold her sweet little hand and have prayer at mealtime. Isn't it great when you go to a restaurant and you see a family that bows their head to pray? I always like to watch them, you know, because there's always one that's going. <laughs> that was me when I was a kid. I'm just looking at who's looking at us. They're going. And then they go, amen. You go, amen. <laughs> but, but make that a habit. Okay, let's say our SEC saying again. You ready? Come on, let's say it again. Here we go. Ready? A prayer-filled mind is a peace-filled life. Let's say it again a little louder. You ready? Come on. A prayer-filled mind is a peace-filled life. And so the greatest thing that you can give your children to, to help them with anxiety is to teach them to pray and teach them that they can pray at any time, anywhere. Amen? Okay, so how to respond to anxiety. The third thing I'd like to share with you is this, is make your prayer specific. Specific. Make it specific. Now, here's the deal. When we begin to make our prayer specific, then all of a sudden something happens is that when we make it specific, we say, God, this is what I want you to do. You know, like some of you mothers here today, you know, you got to pray specific. That sounds like this. God, help this man I'm married to. He needs help. Amen. That's a, that's a specific prayer. God, help. Instead of saying, oh, God, Lord, God, my life is so stressful. I don't know what to do. Lord, I'm just, just be honest. God, the man I'm married is driving me crazy. Help him. That's a specific prayer, right? Watch it, ladies. Now, I don't, I'll get you in trouble today. It's your day. Now, milk it, ladies, all day, right? It's your day. Just milk it all day. And, and guys, you know, like, you know, Lord, these, these teenagers I got are driving me crazy. Please help them. And then name the ones that are specifically driving you crazy. Don't say these. Say, Lord, I'll tell you today, Tony is killing me. And Lord, help him before I kill him. You see what I'm talking about? Teenagers, listen, you need to make your prayer specific. My mom and dad are crazy, God. I don't know if they're on drugs right now or what, but help them. See, I mean, it's specific, right? I mean, you've got to be gut-level honest with God. And here's the reason I want you to say that, because when you make your prayer specific, you downsize your fear and you upsize your God. See, when you just make your prayer general, all of a sudden you're, it's so general, it's bigger than God. Oh, God, my life's so messed up. Lord, I'm so stressed out. And when you do that, it's so big, it's so big, it's bigger than God. But when you make it specific, then all of a sudden, you downsize your fear and you upsize your God. Jesus saw, there was a man that was, again, at the Jesus just talked about prayer. And then all of a sudden, he walks, there's a blind man that says, walk, begins to walk up and talk to Jesus. Look what he says. He says this, Jesus asked, what do you want me to do for you, Lord? He said, what did he say? I want to see, baby. That's why I, I want to, I'm blind. I can't see. That's specific. I want to see. And Jesus said, all right, receive your sight. Your faith has healed you. Instantly, the man could see. He followed Jesus. What did he do? Praising God. Let me tell you something. When God answers your prayer, don't you think he deserves a little credit? And he was praying. Look, he was praising God. And all who saw it did what? They praised God too. 
In other words, listen, when God does something for you, a miracle for you, and he answers a prayer, listen, when your marriage starts getting better, you know, when your parents start getting better, you know, when, when your teenager starts getting better, and, and when your finances start getting better because you've been praying specific for them, then you need to tell some people, God has done this for me. You know, what you, what you see is not because I'm that good. I'm not that smart. I'm not that bright. And the only reason we're here today is because God is just good. That's all I can say, right? He's good. He's good. That's what a, people, look, people look at our church, SEC, and say, oh, Jeff, how have you done that? I said, let me tell you something. If you, knew me, if you really knew me, you'd be going, oh, there's a big God. That's all. You, you, there's a big God. And that's what I say. He's big. And he's good. Now, the problem that we got right now is we got, we got people like, many of us sitting in this room say, well, you know what, Jeff, that was 2,000 years ago, and Jesus was on the earth then, and so somehow we disconnect because of the time warp that we're in, you know, because of that time barrier. We say, oh, that happened back then. Well, I want to tell you about a lady that, I, that uh, I've read about. Her name is Joyce, uh, Joyce Smith, and actually Joyce wrote a book, and the book was called uh, The Impossible. Joyce wrote this book in 20, uh, something happened in 2015. Joyce had a son by the name of John Smith, who was 14 years old, who was a little rebellious teenager. That's, he was going through that like many of us had been through that stage in our own lives. And uh, they lived in Missouri. It was early winter, and up there, the, the water began to get cold, you know, or the weather began to get cold, and the, the lakes began to freeze over. And John and some of his friends decided it was time to go get on the lakes. And so they went out to play. They went, walked out onto the ice on the lake. And you said, oh. And somebody said, hey, you guys need to get off the lake. It's not safe. They said, oh, it's fine. Look, everything's fine. And just a few minutes later, the ice broke. All three of the boys went into the lake. They called the rescue squad. The first responders were there. And they were able to rescue two boys, but they couldn't rescue John. John was, John was gone. And he'd been under the water for 15 minutes. And so they, they're one, the, the, the uh, first responders were in the water, the firemen were in the water with a, with a big pole trying to fill them around the bottom. And they finally, they were about to freeze and they said, we got to get out of here. And the captain said, come on out, boys. And right before one of the firemen come out, all of a sudden he heard a voice that said, two feet to the right. And he said, he, he looked around, he didn't see anybody. And he heard, two feet to the right. And so he took his pole and he moved it two, feet, two more feet to the right. And sure enough, he caught something. When he pulled, he pulled it up, and really, it was John. John was there, lifeless. They pulled John out of the, out of the ice, got him to the shore, and there he was. He had no pulse. He was, he was lifeless. And they began to do CPR on him. They got him to the hospital. They continued to do CPR. For 40 minutes, they did CPR. And finally, after 45 minutes of, of shocking him, giving every drug that they could give him, nothing happened, no pulse. And they finally gave up and declared him dead. They allowed his mother to come into the room to see their son's body. He'd been dead for over an hour now, no pulse. And Joyce walked into the room, and there the doctor stood on the edge of the room, and the nurses stood on the edge of the room. And they said, and Joyce said, God, you gave John life one time, God. I'm asking you right now to give John life again. And to the amazement of the doctors and the nurse, all of a sudden the machine went beep. He got a pulse back. After being dead an hour, he got a pulse back. They, they rushed him to a, they, they began to do, treat him a little bit, and they, they got him to a, a larger hospital in Missouri. And when he arrived there, there was a specialist on hand, and, and Miss Smith, 
uh, and her husband got there and the doctor said, I just want you to know, there's no hope for your son. And she looked at him, she said, aren't you the best that they have? Aren't you the best in this field? He said, well, ma'am, that's what they tell me. She said, well, I'm just asking you to do your best and we'll let God do the rest. And so she said, sure enough, they begin to work on him, but he come back 48 hours later and said, ma'am, it's not working. He's, he's, he's gone. And said, you know, right now, if we keep shooting this medicine to him, his fever's going to go up, it's going to cook his brain, and we don't know what else to do. So, ma'am, I'm telling you, you got a decision to make. She said, okay, unhook him in the morning. And so they decided that in the morning they would unhook him. And he said, I'm telling you what's going to happen. When we take all this medicine out of him, his body's going to convulse for about 30 seconds. It's going to be very violent. And, and, and then all of a sudden there's going to be a calm, and you know that he's gone. And so they prepared themselves, and right before they unhooked him, they started that process. She said again, God, you're the God of life. I'm asking you to give life to John. And I want you to know when they pulled that stuff out of him, his body, sure enough, began to convulse all over the bed, and it was very violent. And he just, and then all of a sudden, just like the doctor said, there was a calm. And about two seconds later, John opened his eyes and said, Mom. He said, Mom, is that you? And I want you to know, God healed. 16 days later, he walked out of the hospital on his own. No brain damage, no damage at all. I'm telling you that we've got a strong God and that our God can do anything. Hi, this is Pastor Jeff again. I just want to say I hope you enjoyed today's message. If you would like to support God's work through Stockbridge Community Church, simply go to our website at secview.net. Again, that's secview.net and click the Give tab. We want to thank you again for being with us today. God bless you. Have a wonderful day.